0: Good morning. Today's lesson comes to us from the Old Testament, from the Hebrew scripture of Le- Leviticus, which, of course, is the third book in the Torah. Uh, as we know, much of Leviticus is based off of God's instructions to Moses to pass on to the Israelites concerning various rituals and offerings uh, with respect to their place in the sanctuary and the, the tabernacle. One is. Foreign as this reading may be, I'm sure Jim will be able to bring it forward to, to current day light and, and, pro- and, 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 and provide and distill an explanation of how it's relevant in today's time. So uh, chapter four, verses one through seven, the Lord said to Moses, say to the Israelites, do the following whenever someone sins unintentionally against any of the Lord's commands, doing something that should not be done. If it is the anointed priest who has sinned, making the people guilty of sin, he must present to the Lord a flawless bull from the herd as a purification offering for the sin he has committed. He will bring the bull before the Lord at the entrance to the meeting tent and press his hand on the bull's head. Then he will slaughter the bull before the Lord. The anointed priest will take some of the bull's blood and take it to the into the meeting tent. The priest will dip his finger into the blood, and sprinkle some of it seven times before the Lord toward the sanctuary's inner curtain. Then the priest will put some of the blood on the horns of the altar of perfumed incense, which is in the meeting tent before the Lord. But he will pour out all the rest of the bull's blood at the base of the altar of entirely burned offerings, which is at the meeting tent's entrance. The word of God for the people of God.
1: So most of you know our former pastor here was Kyle Hearn. Kyle and his wife Marie were at chapel service this morning and I saw them afterwards and I asked Kyle, I said, so Kyle, you've got 40 plus years of ministry and service to the United Methodist Church. In all of your 40 years, did you ever preach from the book of Leviticus? And he looked at me and he said, never. (laughs) Never once. Which means I'm either brave Or foolish, one of the two. If you think about it, when we think about Leviticus and what we have read over the last four years, we are not thinking about how to replicate what the ancient Israelites did for their sacrifices and on the altar, right? We're thinking about the nature of each one of these and how they're representative of something particular and important for the people to know and to live out. So you think about when we read out of Leviticus chapter 1, the fact that they were supposed to bring the perfect gift that they could to offer to God. And that's a challenge for each one of us. In our time and in our talent and in our treasure, how do we bring the very best that we possibly can as our offering to God? Knowing that when we read in chapter 2 that the offerings are a choice offering, that we have a choice. We have a choice as to what we bring to God and how we present that to God. It's a responsibility, it's a response that we should each have, that we want to give the best to God. That's our choice that we make whenever we come to bring our offerings to Him. And then last week we considered what it meant for those offerings to be a blessing, right? That each one of us are blessed. Our cups, for the most most part, overflow. And we don't barter with God, hoping that God will bless us more by giving our gifts. Rather, we intend our blessings to be a blessing to all the world, that God take those gifts and use them for God's purposes in the world. Those are the nature of what we have looked at so far. This week, we're looking at a different scripture and what it means for us to be in relationship with God, a right relationship with God. Because we believe that God's redeeming act of love has placed each and every one of us in a right relationship. God has positioned each one of us so that we might respond, and God hopes that we do so with extravagant generosity. I'm going to suggest to you this morning that our redemption is the foundation of our generosity. It's the bedrock of what it means for us to be generous. Last Wednesday, Margaret and I went to CBS and got our flu shots. Actually, Margaret got two shots. We've got a a baby coming in our family, and our niece has told everybody that if you don't have a whooping cough shot, you don't get to hold the baby, right? So she got a tetanus shot, which has whooping cough in it, and she got a flu shot. So you can ask her which arm hurts and which arm is starting to get to the point where it doesn't hurt quite as much. She got there a little bit ahead of me, got to CVS a little bit ahead of me, so she started all of her paperwork and got in line, and she went over after she finished all of her paperwork and went to the register, and they said, your insurance covers your shots, you're good, right? So she went over, sat down, and waited for the pharmacist. There was a young lady between the two of us in line, went through, same thing, she was there to get a flu shot, went through, got all of her paperwork, paid, sat down. I got up to the pharmacy counter, told them I was there for my flu shot. They took all my information, I had to sign my little paper that says I'm okay with getting jabbed by a needle, all that kind of stuff. And then I get over to the register and the young lady looks at me and says, yours is $22.77. Now, Margaret and I are on the same insurance, provided by the United Methodist Church. Who works for the United Methodist Church here? (laughs) Right? And so I'm, I'm like, my wife and I have the same insurance. How can it be no charge for her and $22.77 for me? And the young lady at the register looked at me and said, Well, that's insurance, sir. (laughs) So I paid, I sat down, and I got jabbed in the arm for a flu shot. So you might be asking yourself, What does this have to do with redemption this morning? And the answer to that question is, absolutely nothing. It was just a fun story to tell you. To start out with this morning. Actually, here's the part of our trip to CVS that I want you to hear. We had a little bit more of an adventure while we were there. We decided while we were at CVS we needed to pick up a few things. So we went and did our shopping. We got the three items that we needed. We had a five dollar off coupon. So if you spent $30 or more, you got $5 off your coupon uh, off your purchase. So we, we got that. We also have one of those little tags for CVS. And so we went over to the little kiosk and we scanned our tag and we got our coupon booklet, you know, the, the printed coupon thing, right? And started going through the eight coupons that we got to say, oh, you know what, we bought one of these product items, so let's take that coupon, $2 off. So we went up to the counter, they started ringing up all of our items, they took our coupons, of course we got the $5 off because we spent more than $30, and then the $2 coupon, I handed him that, and he goes, this one isn't going to work. I thought, well, I bought this product line. Why isn't it going to work? Well, it's $2 off of $8 purchase, and yours is on sale for $6. So you don't get to use that coupon. Right? So we get done with our purchase there and we get our receipt. And guess how long our receipt is? It's about six feet long. Right? It's about six inches worth of our purchase and five and a half feet of coupons. Of which how many? could we actually redeem? How many of those could we actually use? A lot of product lines are on there, are things that we couldn't use, or we just bought as well, right? Now you think about the opposite side of that as well. How many of you are really good at coupons, right? The coupons that you can't use, but how many of you are really good at collecting the coupons that you know you can use, you're really, really good at? Some of you might be. Our two daughters tried this one time. Kinder and Crystal tried the Extreme Coupon. Have you, have you ever seen people that have done that, right? They collect all these coupons, and they figure out how to not only get a whole bunch of stuff and pay a little bit for it, but they get all kinds of stuff for free as well as they're going along and they're doing this. They used to post on Facebook pictures of their ta- of their tabletops just Full of all of these items. They'd have like 10 cans of Barbasol, Barbasol shaving cream. Or they'd have a, a dozen packages of disposable razors or like 20 or 30 deodorants of the same kind. Yeah, they just take it to the extreme. And then before you know it, they started running their kind of own online store trying to figure out how to get rid of some of this stuff because they had enough for three generations. That's how much they collected in The ability to redeem and and use coupons wisely. I used to know a gentleman who did this as well, but he, he really took it to some extremes on some things. When he would go to Kmart and he'd go get his paper towels or his toilet paper or any kind of dishwashing liquid or something like that, he didn't buy one or two of them when they were on sale. He bought a case of it, right? And then he lived in a house that didn't have a basement and it didn't have attic access like us Midwesterners. He had to move a tile in his dining room area across, and then he put it up in the ceiling, is where he would store all of these things. So whenever you were at JB's house, if you ran out of toilet paper, you'd say, "JB, we ran out of toilet paper." He'd get out his step stool, move a ceiling tile, grab a, pa- a package of toilet paper, toss it to you, and then put his ceiling tile back and put his step stool away. That's where he kept all of his supplies in his house. Right? How many of you are good at redeeming? many of you are good at redeeming your coupons? You've mastered the art of what it means to redeem. Here's some welcome news for you, dear friends. This is going to be the last time this year we're going to read from Leviticus. Aren't you glad about that? Choir, are you glad about that? You're probably worried about where we're going to try to put, you know, stuff on the altar as the way they describe it and things like that. This is the last time we're going to read this year. Of course, you know there's only about, what? Eight more weeks left in this year, so you never know what's going to happen next year. Now, we're not going to read from it next year either, so I I promise you. But but let's think about it for a moment. Let's try to glean a couple of things out of today's reading, just the nature of the offering that we were just reading about and listening to. If you read the first 12 verses of chapter 4, it is the sin or the guilt offering for the high priest. But it doesn't stop there. The chapter continues. Verses 13 to 21 talk about the sin or the guilt offering for the entire Israelite community and what they would bring if they were guilty. Verses 22 to 26 talk about the leader of the people and their offering. 27 to 35 talks about the sin or the guilt offering for an individual in the community. And there's additional sin or guilt offerings that are given for unintentional sins. There's alternatives that are provided for the sacrifice that could be given for a sin or a guilt offering. There are measures in place for compensation and restitution because redemption, in God's eyes, is a big deal for the people. That right relationship with God is important to God. And God hoped that it would be important to the people. To be in right relationship with their neighbor was also a very important ideology for them a concept for them to hold on to. It was important to God. It was supposed to be important to them. Redemption was for the purpose of right relationship. It was important to God. It should have been important to the people. And no one was exempt. If you think about the way the scripture is lined out in Leviticus chapter 4, it covers everyone in the community. No one is exempt from this provision in the law. It was for everyone to experience the redemption of, of God and to live under the power of that redemption. No one was excluded. Now in the times of ancient Israel, God used some very prescribed methodologies for that to happen. We just read about part of it. As, as Kyle said to me this morning, he was pretty worried about the poor bull, right? You think about what is transpiring in this moment as an activity of redemption so that right relationship might transpire for the people. Now, think about this. So, what makes us different than the ancient Israelites? Why is this an ancient practice? Other than our, our modern sensibilities, and we feel like we have progressed long enough as humanity that we don't need to practice the sacrifices in this way, what makes us different than the ancient Israelites? We still need redemption, right? Amen? Wouldn't you say that? Do you agree with that, people? That God is about the work of redemption? See, the difference for us, though, is is we find ourselves living into God's great act of love and redemption that we believe was completed on the cross, that Jesus is God's act of self-sacrifice for all of us, the ultimate sacrifice that has brought about humanity's redemption going forward from that moment. So God has restored us to right relationship through God's own gift and sacrifice for us. What fundamentally transforms each one, every one of us is the gift of God, not the gifts we bring to God. We don't bring gifts today so that God might redeem us. No, we bring our gifts because God has already redeemed us. God doesn't respond to our offerings granting us redemption. The opposite is true now. We respond to God because God has already granted us redemption. And our redemption is therefore the foundation of our generosity. A generosity that should be extravagant. Think of it this way. You might recall the story of the boys' soccer team and their coach that got trapped in that cave in Thailand back in July. You might have paid a little bit of attention to that, right? According to the CBS article that I read, that was 18 harrowing days, an ordeal for the 13 people trapped in that cave. This one young adult and 13 young boys, right? All the rescue attempt that they went through to try to figure out how to get them out of this cave. Actually, one volunteer diver died in trying to figure out how to rescue them. But ultimately, the 12 boys and their coach, they were liberated from that cave. They were brought out of that cave. Now imagine with me that that, that you were one of those persons in that cave. You were one of those that was rescued. What level of gratitude would you have to your rescuers? Would you just simply shake their hand and thank them and then go on with the rest of your life? Would you try to maybe do a little bit of something to recognize them and and maybe just go on about the rest of your life even though you know you may never see them again? Or would you feel like you're going to carry around for the rest of your life a debt of gratitude, that they would risk their life to come and rescue you, to redeem you? What makes God any different? For God is the one who has rescued each and every one of us. God is the one who has redeemed every single one of us. God has rescued us from the very pit of hell. God has rescued us from eternal separation from God and from one another. God has granted us life that is now and life that is eternal. God has rescued us from the cave that we could not get ourselves out of, dear friends. So how do we respond to God? Shake God's hand, go on our way. Or do we owe God a debt of gratitude that we try to repay each and every day through the gifts of our time, our talent, and our treasure? See, I believe that that's the response that we should have, is one of extravagant generosity to the redemptive work of God that is for every single one of us, and that it should be tangible in our lives. It should be an extravagant gift of our time, our talent, and our treasure, that we consciously choose every day to give our very best gifts to God so that God might use them for the world. And in prayer and belief, we believe that God will bless those around us because we give extravagantly to God. We don't give for our own benefit. We give because God has already redeemed us. We give for the redemption of the world. When our ushers come to receive our offering this morning, we're going to have an opportunity not only to respond with our offerings today, but to think about next year, 2019. Hopefully each one of your households. You received a letter from the church. You received a commitment card and an opportunity to pray this week and to think about what it is that you will do as a response to God's redeeming love and work for you. What will it be of your time, your talent, and your treasure? When the offering plate comes by a little bit later in the service, I want to encourage you, if you've completed your card to go ahead and submit it for us today. If you haven't, guess what? The church is prepared. You forgot yours? There's extras in your pew. You can pick one up. You can complete it today. If you still need a little bit more time to pray over it, certainly understand. Take more time and pray over it. But remind yourself and remember, God's great act of redeeming love for you, how can we respond with anything less than our very best? In the next few moments, I want to invite